Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Learning Made Easier. You're listening to the COVID-19 special episodes. This podcast is about effective learning and effective teaching. And now we all have to do this with a new wrinkle provided by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which is sweeping the world in a pandemic the likes of which we have not seen since AIDS, polio, and the 1918 Spanish flu. As a result of COVID-19, many universities, colleges, and K-12 schools have either closed down or moved to distance learning which for most teachers means going online. Please note, we are not going to pull punches here. We are going to be direct and blunt about what can be done and what can't be done. We're not going to be able to tell you how to keep things just the way they used to be. That's not possible. So with that in mind, let's move forward. In this special COVID-19 series, we will unpack some of the major issues teachers and students are facing as well as ways to deal with these issues. This is our 13th episode in this series, Going Modular. Originally, college was an experiential learning setup, meaning it was based more on experience than on absorbing information and parroting it back. Students would attend lectures where the lecturer would literally read the book to the students and the students would make notes on what the lecturer read because books were scarce and hard to come by. That's where the word lecturer actually came from. That's what they were doing was lectare. They were reading from the book. And then students would use this information by creating something or testing something. Now, over time, doing this process, students would become at least journeyman level experts in their fields. They would absorb and then they would use the information that was given to them. That information wasn't really structured in ways that created connections between an earlier lesson and a later lesson, because mainly the person reading was reading from a book. And it wasn't a textbook, it was just a book. And so students were expected to derive those connections on their own. Now, education today has progressed to the point where every student is expected to have their own copy of the text or the texts, and labs or studios are now their own course sections where they do the experiential part, and not every class has that and teaching from the book has become more or less discouraged. This model, which is known as the sage on the stage style of teaching, is still what most people think of when they think college class. The professor tells the students what they need to know today, they learn it, they take a test on it, and generally, they forget about it. Modular design upends much of that. It includes scaffolding, or how this new thing builds on the last thing we did and grouping, or how these things go together. It requires students to retain information from earlier modules in order to make sense of later ones. It also requires instructors to identify how their material builds on itself and how to group similar material together. For instructors who have never thought about this before, it can feel like a huge change, but it doesn't have to. During COVID, we're all mostly moving online, and modules are crucial for online courses. They give students a roadmap that tells them what to do, when to do it, and what to expect next. Your modules may have the same structure each time, which is recommended for online courses so students get some predictability and structure, or they may each have their own internal organization. 
The important part here is that it makes the design visible to the students, so they don't have to wonder what they're supposed to do next. So, for example, with my courses that I've brought online, I structure almost all of them this way. Each module is watch this lecture and that lecture by Tuesday, respond to questions about it on the discussion board by Wednesday, and respond to at least two classmates responses by Friday, take the quiz on Sunday. There's also optional and additional assignments. You can complete the journal by Thursday night, complete the terms and concepts list by Saturday night. But the point is, every week, it's the same thing. They know that when they log into module one, which is week one and two, they have to do these things. And then module two, which is weeks three and four, they have to do the same things, just with different content. It's still the same exercises. It's still the same expectations. It's still the same time schedule. So they're not wondering, okay, is Wednesday a discussion board this week or is it something else? It's always a discussion board on Wednesday. It's always a quiz on Sunday, always, always, always. Think of modules as containers or buckets. They're ways we organize the information for our courses. Prior to campuses closing, we already had this sort of thinking without realizing it. When you set up your syllabus, you hopefully planned it so early material set the foundation for later material in the course, and you built on it. That's scaffolding. Each lecture or each week was a module. You organized your topics by time or by calendar. Now the modules change. We don't necessarily have the time component, especially if you have flexible due dates. Now the course can be designed or organized differently, centering the material. You can post lecture notes, readings, and videos and group those by topic. Or post stuff from various chapters in the textbook you're using and treat each chapter as a module. The way we organize the material may have changed, but that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice any of the content you would cover in your class. It just means thinking of new ways of organizing this. And by centering the content rather than the time of the material, you allow students to pick up information as they are able to and in an order that interests them. Now, when you do things in a modular way, you want to identify key areas of content. So think about the topics that you really want to stand out as students look at the overall structure of your course. So for example, I usually start all of my social classes with basic theoretical concepts or basic methods of analysis. And that way the students can continually call back on those concepts or those methods as they explore later content. I even have an analysis system I use in my theory classes. So once those systems and concepts are nailed down, once the students know, okay, I'm going to be using this model to organize information in every single module that I look at. I'm going to be using this way of, an, of analyzing the data. I'm going to be using this way of looking at themes. Then the students can use those same early concepts or systems to analyze new material with each set of material that you present. And once you've identified the key areas of content, then you need to ask yourself, what do they need to know already in order to understand this area? And in this way, you'll be able to arrange them by how much they need to know before they can go further. So simple modules or foundational systems or foundational concepts, put those first. And hold on to more complex modules that either build on the early material or use it for analysis and understanding a little later. And again, being flexible means that, let's say that you're teaching a crim class and you have a module on violent crime and you have one on victimology and you have one on juvenile delinquency and you have one on gang crime. 
maybe the students don't need to look at all four of those, but they're early stuff. They're stuff that's pretty straightforward. You've got pretty basic things going on. And so you tell them, okay, pick two of these four, and that's what you're going to do in the next two weeks. You can do juvenile delinquency and gangs, or you can do victimology and violent crime, or you can do victimology and gangs. I don't care. Pick the ones that seem most interesting to you. And because you've got modules, you can actually put more lessons than they have to do, and that gives them some variety and flexibility, which is also important in an online class. Remember, however, that you should build your course around your learning objectives, what you want your students to do by the end of the course. Highlight what you want your students to understand from each part and, if relevant, how they are expected to work with this content. So something like, I'll tell my students, here are some readings you need to know or you need to work with in your term paper, and I'm looking to see that you can work with these concepts in the paper. Can you define them and apply them? Make sure your modules are labeled clearly. Let students know what is in each module. If nothing else, put the key topic. Don't just say module one, module two, module three. That's not going to tell anyone a whole lot of information. I label my modules based on the idea or theme. So for example, for a theory class, I'll have a module about structural functionalism and I'll post slides and readings relevant to that idea. The next module might be conflict theory and that idea, that reading, those slides go into that. And the next one might be symbolic interaction. So all of my material is organized around the type of theory covered and students have access to slides and readings that they need to know. Now there may be some assignments that don't fit the modular structure. For example, a paper or a project that isn't directly tied to a module's content. And that's okay. You can have a separate module called research paper or photo portfolio. Most modules may be set up along a timeline. Module one runs during weeks one and two. Module two runs during weeks three and four, and so on. But you can also let students know they're expected to do the research paper module, which could be six or eight weeks long. You can arrange the tasks inside these modules with due dates to say, topic due on August 30th, outline due on September 25th, rough draft due on October 27th, final draft due on November 30th. When you create these modules, put them at the top of your module list so students will be able to see them and be aware of them. Now, that's all the why, but now let's talk about the how, okay? To create modules, the best tool you can use is probably your learning management system's module creation tool, or you can even do something that I find even a little easier than that. You can simply create content folders. So on my learning management system, which is Blackboard, I'll create a content area that's called modules. And then inside the content area, I create a folder for each module and I'll name them module one. What is sociology date to date? Like say, you know, August 23rd to September 5th, right? So those are the days in which we expect the students to get that module done. Blackboard allows me to put a description on the folder that students will see before they click it. So in this area, I will list the contents of the folder and the dates that things are due. Once I've created all the folders, then I start adding content and usually 
with content, what I'll do is I'll create separate content areas for each kind of assignment. So here's a content area called lecture videos, and then I embed all of my lecture videos from YouTube. And here's a content area called quizzes, and I'll create all my quizzes and they'll be launched there and they'll only open and close on certain dates. So you might want to put an announcement at the top of that area saying quizzes open on this date or they open on their open date and they close on their closed date, see the syllabus for those dates and discussion boards and terms lists and whatever else I've assigned them. And I'll create separate content areas for each kind of assignment. I'll upload the content, the actual content into those areas. And then I will go back to the module folder and I'll use internal course links to link the students to each assignment or assignment area inside a module folder. So they have two ways to get at it. Let's just say that they're looking for the quiz. They could either click on quizzes in the left-hand menu and just go to the list of all the quizzes, or they can click on whatever module they're in and see where the quiz is in that folder. And once that's done, a student can look at the outside of a module folder and know what's inside it and what's required. And then they can click on the folder and start clicking on each assignment on the inside of the folder to get to the area where they can complete the assignment. Now, once your modules are set up this way, your students will be able to easily see clearly and quickly what do they need to do and when do they need to get it done. You can also even create a short video to put either on the front page of your learning management system or at the top of the modules content area and kind of guide them through. This is how the modules work in your course. Click here and you can see here's a list of everything that's going to happen and their due dates. Now click on that folder, see all these different links. They all take it to different places. And oh, by the way, if you need to find the terms and concepts assignment and you don't want to dig down into the module folder, see this left-hand column? Click there on terms and concepts list. There it is. I tend to post all of my course readings as a module on their own, allowing my students to access them when they can. And I tend to sequence the readings by when we go over them in the class, so there's some time aspect. I post my lecture slides and my external videos to our campus learning management system, and I treat the substance of the lectures or videos as the module, the same as I did when we met in person prior to campus's closing. Now, thinking about my classes as sets of modules really helped me understand what really mattered and what didn't. It helped me eliminate some lessons where I'm like, this is not about any of the learning objectives. Why am I keeping this? And making decisions about how to help students understand the links between early content and later content, the scaffolding thing, in several cases, that forced me to rearrange how I'd been presenting the content so students would actually know the terms that I'd been assuming everybody already knew. And that's just one example. I also found that once I created a modular class, I could really easily take modules that applied to more than one class and just straight out copy them into other courses. So for example, juvenile delinquency is a crim course. I teach that class a lot. And I have several lecture modules based on different criminological theories in my main crim course. Well, they need to know that for juvenile delinquency too, and they might not take crim. So all I had to do once I had prepped the module for the crim course was copy them over to the juvenile delinquency course and change the dates. It was the same content and it really made it easy to just repurpose it for a different course. So in some ways, creating your classes in a modular way also helps cut down on how much work you actually have to do. Now, we have recommendations for three groups like we usually do in these, um, in these episodes. People who are comfortable with course design already, people who are kind of new to the idea of courses as things to be designed, but they're open to that idea, and people who are really uncomfortable with how they, with the idea of changing how they present their courses because they've done it in class for so long and the idea of changing how it's presented is really throwing them. So for the first group, people who understand course design, hey, you've got this. 
maybe you're already doing modular design, which is great. And if this episode helped you tweak what you're doing at all, more power to you. For you, we would really ask that you reach out to your department and say, hey, I know how to do this, and I'd really like to help other people. Can I teach a class on it? And just walk people through the basics of setting up a modular course on an online system, because that's going to save more people than you realize at this point. For the second group, we hope this episode helps you see how modular design will help both you and your students. If you've struggled with trying to port your in-person course into an online format, modular design helps you communicate what's important, when it's due, and what's coming up next so that your students don't fall behind. For the last group, changing may be uncomfortable, but try to look at modular design as just a new way of packaging what you're presenting. It's like setting up a poster at a conference versus giving a talk with a PowerPoint. It doesn't change the material you're presenting, the only change is how the information gets presented. Creating an online course with modules can help you even when we return to in-person teaching because your students will be able to see your entire train of thought and understand why you're teaching them this topic now and this other topic later on. So that's what we have for you in this special episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who may be facing these issues. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. If you're able to support us right now, we'd really appreciate it. Please join us next time for our next COVID-19 episode, where we'll talk about how to keep things simple in these complicated times. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>